Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. As we begin to think about this class, here's what I want you to think about. Um, In the world that we live in, uh, the society that we live in. Imagine, if you will, that this is a timeline, okay? And here we are. That stick figure, it's a beautiful drawing. It represents all of us, okay? That's you, that's me. We're just going to say. As you look and try to discern what is in the future, how do you do that? How do you decide what is going to happen on into the rest of your existence, your life? How do you do that? Okay, the only real way to do that is by having a clear understanding of what happened previously, right? So I am by trade a scientist, uh, so it's kind of strange that I'm teaching this class, but I think it's, I work with people who are plant breeders, um, and I'm kind of a go-between between them and our sales force, and my title is an agronomist, and as scientists, they reject any notion of God being involved in origins, creation, beginnings, right? Well, what is fascinating to me is that they really have a big question mark here because they can answer some things, but they can't answer specifically, you know, where did all this come from? And it really gets down to the nitty-gritty as far as I'm concerned. What is the great question, which is, why am I here? Not how did I get here, but why am I here? And where am I going? Those two fundamental questions really are at the heart of everything that we are, right? Uh, Just trying to understand what my purpose is in life. And then when something catastrophic comes against you, like physical ailments, your world crumbles. I I was listening to the radio this week uh, as I was driving. And there was an individual that they were talking to in preparation of this storm that was coming. And uh, they said, I'm not leaving. You know, just flat out, I'm not leaving. And I think, if I remember right, they were in the Miami area. Just decided they weren't going to leave. And the, the person that was on the radio, I think it was NPR I was listening to, said, why aren't you going to leave? And his statement shocked me. Here was his statement. He said, well, Governor Rick Scott, governor of Florida, said, and he, he said, and I quote, said, we can replace your home, but we can't replace your life. Apparently, Governor Rick Scott said that. Well, this individual said, my home is my life. Their entire foundation of their existence was built upon the kingdom that they had built, and I'm guessing they lived in a pretty nice home uh, in the West Palm Beach area. And, and they just couldn't imagine the fact that somebody might come in and take their possessions. Or, and, and just that entire concept, they couldn't get over. And as I drove, I thought, wow, that's how some people live their lives. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the really scary thought. There are people within the church, any church, not just this church, within the church that live their life built upon that same principle. 
I, we call it, you know, we have theoreti- theoretical theology, which is we, we think this way and then that way determines our life, how we do. And then we have practical theology. We may think that God's in control, and then when all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out and you have some strokes, you begin to think, hmm, maybe God's not in control. Maybe something's happening here. And, and that practical theology really begins to devastate your worldview, right? And so what we want to do is set a firm foundation for our lives, a firm theoretical understanding, and commit ourselves to it to say, it doesn't matter what happens, we believe this thing to be true. As a matter of fact, very early on in the church, uh, long before the Bible was written, there were these things called creeds. What is a creed? Okay, creed is typically referred to as a statement of faith. What it actually was is a way to communicate truth from one generation to the next because they didn't have the Bible, they didn't have printing presses. So we would teach them, memorize this. Nursery rhymes, believe it or not, nursery rhymes are nothing more than creeds from years ago. They were meant to to teach a a philosophical type thought or something like that. And you would teach it to a child in a nursery rhyme because they could memorize it. And then they would learn about not crying wolf, about not alarming people when there is no no reason to. So one of the creeds that was very popular with the early church is what is called the Apostolic Creed or the Apostles' Creed. And I'm going to read to you a little bit of the Apostles' Creed. The very first line says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Why was that so important for him? You see, that's really the question of our entire class. Why was it so important that the other church understood that God was, in fact, the creator of heaven and earth? And then what ramifications did that have? That is, in reality, the question that we are going to answer in this class. Okay? Does that make sense to everybody? We're all on the same page? Okay. So here's where I would like you to start. Hebrews 11. Uh, This is a passage... uh, I know you think, well, we should be starting in Genesis, but we need to set up a little bit of a foundation before we get to Genesis, and we will get to Genesis today. But I want to look at Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 3, excuse me, verse 3, yeah. Hebrews 11, verse 3, says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, we understand. We are going to come back and look at this passage later in the class. The only thing that I want you to grasp here at this is that those first two words. It's by faith. Anybody that tells you they're going to prove to you, you know, the existence of God or that God did this, no, they're not. Anybody that tells you they're going to prove that God doesn't exist, No, they're not, because they were not there. There was one individual that was there, one person, and he exists in three forms, or three persons. We call it the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They were all present at creation, doing the work of creating, and and they are the only ones that we can turn to to really find good information about what happened, right? One other passage I want us to look at happens to be in the first chapter of Romans. 
one of my fam- uh, favorite passages in the Bible, and you're going to think I'm nuts when I start reading this, but it explains more to us about the world we live in than uh, we ever get out of the news. You know, we watch the news, and we don't get much information there, but... Romans chapter 1, verse 18, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the... If you mark in your Bible, circle the next word in the NIV, it's godlessness. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them. Drop down to verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So, here's the $60,000 question for today. Not Galen's got $60,000 he's going to give you. I'm not going to give you. What is godlessness? Paul says there in Romans chapter 1, that God's wrath is being poured out on the world because of godlessness and wickedness. What is godlessness? Okay. They, they, in essence, are saying there is no God. Unbelief. Unbelief. The fool says in his heart there is no God. Godlessness is really the rejection of the person of God. And here's how I like to say it. It's rejecting the authoritative influence of God in our lives. has to be part of it because in that culture they had many gods. Yes. I mean yes. In, in Greek and Roman, you know, they had many gods. Right. So the concept of a god was a concept, I mean the concept of a god in charge of something. Yeah. They had but not not the authority. Yes. given to the one and only true god. Yeah, it really is that rejection of the knowledge or the idea that God is the supreme, the one who is owed all allegiance, everything that is, is because of him. It is the rejection of God as God, right? And, and you're right, in many cultures we have this, well, we have God, but we're going to fashion him after our own ideas. We're going to make a God of our own liking. I started to tell uh, Benita and Therma about this young man that was in my church in Kansas City. Been reading about his life on Facebook. You know, that's how we learn things anymore. Um, but yesterday, or Friday, he put a post on there about his life, and it was a picture of him as a child and then today, and just the transformation that has ha- happened. And apparently, people will ask him that knew him as a child, what happened to that little boy? And so he goes through the story of what happened to the little boy. And it's a, a series of betrayals by girlfriends and wives and his brother leaving him and, and child abuse. I mean, it's not a, a pretty story. Don't get me wrong. The, the takeaway is, in the end, he has decided to renounce his Christianity and to, to take on the gods of his quote-unquote fathers, is the way he says it, his, which is some Norse paganism. Viking-type religion. Why? Because it fits with my reality. Now, I challenge you with that because in the church today, we do that. We don't like the authoritative influence of God in the way that He is, and so we fashion Him according to our own liking. We say, well, He must be like this because you know I want Him to be loving. I don't want Him to be 
authoritative. I don't want him to be judgmental. I don't want him to be all-knowing. I don't want him to be able to control my life. So therefore, I'm going to fashion him into what I want him to be. The story of creation is really about understanding who God is. Not necessarily who we are. It's about understanding who we are because of God, right? So as we go through our study, that is kind of what we are going to be doing, is really beginning to hone in on who God is. In reality, this class um, is uh, a development of something that uh, some of you have been through. I think, Galen, you've been through a class that my wife is involved in. Uh, One is called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand. Keith Lee's have been through that. And then there's a second class that they teach called How People Change, or Rooted in Christ, I think is what they call it. And the idea is is that we change as our mind allows us, Romans chapter 12, that as our mind is transformed, we are changed more and more into the likeness of Christ. So this class is kind of the basis of much that is happening in that class, basically giving us the theology of, And so I've already got a schedule laid out that I want to do. I want to do creation. I want to do a theology of sin. I don't think we really understand what sin is and how it affects our lives. And then uh, we'll we'll look at some other things. So that is kind of what we are going to be doing in this class. Um, So all of that is just to whet your appetite for the rest of the stuff. If it doesn't, if that doesn't, you know, cause your, as Mark says, cause your tail to wag, then I'm sorry. Uh, But that being said... Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. A um, couple of things that I always write this stuff down and then I forget to tell you about it. So godlessness is the condition of mankind after the fall. It is the position of depravity in which mankind's pursuit is only for self and self-preservation. Does that not describe our society? We are only interested in ourselves and preserving ourselves. You know, I don't, I don't care about you. And, and what does God call, if we've learned anything from the study of the Gospels, what does God call us to? An other-centeredness. A, to look to the interest of others and consider their, their uh, interest. Mankind denies the existence and the reality and righteousness of God. It is this great chasm that is the source of alienation from God that the Gospel speaks to. Restoring God is the great missing piece of our society. Today, people see no need of God, so therefore no place for God in a modern society. What is a greater tragedy is that so many uh, so-called Christians lead a quote-unquote godless existence. In an effort to remain relevant, they have forsaken the historical tenets of the faith and have succumbed to new ideas. The reason that that last statement is in there, the number one uh, topic of conversation on Christian uh, talk, Sites on the way, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but is the issue of uh, divine evolution versus creation. More and more Christians are denying, uh, they want to take out the first 11 chapters of the Bible, really, Genesis 1 through 11. Uh, they want to take out creation, they want to take out sin, they want to take out the flood, they want to take out the Tower of Babel, and they want everything from there on to be true. We don't get to do that, do we? We don't get to just pick and choose what sections of the Bible we're going to believe or not believe. And so I really 
my, my hope, my goal is to help you to become grounded in the creation story so that, like the author of Hebrews says, we can say, by faith, we understand, we know, we have confidence in the fact that God created everything that is out of nothing. I believe that more today than I did a year ago. I will tell you that. Because of what I have been through, I believe that my life is more a representation of what God designs for my life than what I'm going to make of it. And I am here to fulfill His purposes, not the other way around. Okay? So that is the end goal. That's, that's, that's what we're shooting for in this class. If we miss it, it's my fault. It's not His. Okay? Uh, so we'll, we will hope and pray that we get there. Genesis chapter 1. Would somebody read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Thank you. So we're going to go back to our timeline here for a minute. A timeline is a created word. So let's transition this to an uncreated word. What would this be if it were not a timeline? If there is no time? I didn't know this was a test. <laughs> I do this to people all the time, when, and they get so mad at me. If this is an, a line of infinity going from one end to the other, what do we call that? It's really a continuum, isn't it? So... As finite beings, this is really hard for us. But let's imagine for a moment that we are God, and time, there is no such thing as time. There is just now. There is the past and the present. What happened, you know, the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why does it say that? Because today is always today to God. There is no yesterday. There is no tomorrow. It's always today. God sees today the same way that he does what we're reading about in Genesis chapter 1. So, the first phrase that we come to in Genesis chapter 1 is what? In the beginning. What does that phrase tell us? There is a start. And that start was initiated by whom? By God. God had to make a beginning. The beginning isn't the beginning of God, is it? It's just the time frame that he said he was going to make a beginning. And as a matter of fact, this is what we call a loaded phrase in that it teaches us something much more. When God did this, he created something that had never been before thought of. You and I mark our lives by it. It's time. Up until this moment... Up until the moment that God steps into existence and creates time, there is no such thing as time. So before God can create anything, He has to create time. And the first thing that He does is He creates the beginning. He also creates something else. Because God is infinite, God does not occupy space, He also had to create space. Dimension. Height, depth, width. Think about that for a moment. God is not contained by any of these things. Think of how massive the universe is. You know, in the 60s, we went from Earth to the moon, unless you're a conspiracy theorist and then you don't believe we did it. But if, if you're not, if you think that we went, we went about a quarter of a million miles from Earth to the moon in its, in its closest 
uh, orbit to the earth. We made that transition. It took us four days to get there. God created the entire universe that is hundreds of billions of light years across, and he can travel it in an instant. God is not contained by space, and yet he had to create space. So in this phrase, in the beginning, we learn that God created time, God created space. God also creates something else here at the very beginning. Um, we're going to skip over. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That phrase, the heavens and the earth, what does that really tell us? What else is there besides the heaven and the earth? Think about that for a minute. There is nothing else. God created everything that ever was, ever is, and ever will be in an instant. He made everything. Uh, we, as a scientist, we would say God created matter. God created everything that is. You know, we look at things today, we pick up a rock and we study it, and we say this is, you know, anthracite, and it's got such and such and this and that in it. Well, God created that. Uh, as an agronomist, we look at things and we say, well, this corn needs nitrogen, it needs phosphorus, it needs potassium. Those are minerals, and they become food sources for plants. God made that stuff. We look at microbes. God made those microbes. What about sin? We're not going to answer that, but I just want you to think about that. Because when we say that God created everything, we have to be very, very careful. Because that doesn't mean that God created... Did God create evil? Did God create sin? Did God create death? Or are those things the absence of something else? Okay, so keep the so this phrase in the beginning, God is in creating space. He's creating time. He's creating matter. Sorry, he's creating matter in those moments when all these things are coming into being. And then we have uh, perhaps the most prevalent phrase there in the beginning. Uh, it's, it's a, it holds a place of emphasis in the verse, and that is God created in the beginning. God created. We use the Latin ex nihilo to describe how God did this creating process. What in the world does ex nihilo mean? Anybody speak Latin? <laughs> means out of nothing. Out of nothingness, God called into existence everything that is. How powerful of a being do you have to be to create out of nothingness? That, that means you got, you know, every once in a while I like to do a little bit of baking or cooking. And we take a recipe in which I go to the cupboard and I pull things out of the cupboard. That's not how God did it. God didn't go to the cupboard and pull. God had to bring into existence the ingredients that were going to be. Think about that for a minute. When, when we want to have a, a small view of God, when we want to bring God down and humanize Him to our level, this is where our mind should go. Out of nothing, He created all that is. Out of nothingness, everything that you see, taste, feel, touch, came because God willed it to be. God chose to make it. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, verse 2 tells us 
then exactly after God created it, kind of what the, the situation was like, if you will. The earth was formless and empty. That is, God hadn't fashioned it into anything. The elements were there, but uh, there were no people, there were no plants, there were no animals. It was just a big ball of goo. Uh, anybody ever make bread? Okay. Uh, my grandmother used to make bread. It's my favorite time of the year is when she would do her bed, bread baking. Because you'd come in and there'd just be low, dough, piles of dough everywhere. And the smell, oh, it was so fabulous. But it didn't look anything like a loaf yet because it was in the rising phase, right? This is what God has done. He has created everything that is. It's there. It's hanging in space. But it's formless. Probably not even in a ball. It's just a chunk of stuff. Chunks for the planets. Everything is there, okay? It's formless. It's empty. Uh, it's not filled. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Notice, light doesn't even exist yet. It is darkness over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Fascinating phrase. Why would the Spirit of God be hovering over the waters it shows us the interconnectivity of God the Father and God the Spirit, how they are working in conjunction. Uh, the Spirit might be the one fashioning the plan of God. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm not going to draw it up on the board, but it begins to lay out for us the idea that God is the one who creates the plan, who has the idea that is going to be happening. Jesus Christ is the one, the Son of God is the one who carries out the plan of God, and the Spirit of God is the one who energizes the plan of God. Think about that in terms of salvation. Salvation is God the Father's plan. It is the sacrifice of Jesus that accomplishes the, the, the plan of God, and the Spirit of God is the one that energizes you and I so that we can have faith, so that we can believe in God, so that we can carry out the wishes of God. Okay? So that theology gets set up very early in the book of Genesis. Okay, so that gets us basically through uh, what we might term day one. Even though day one technically isn't, isn't over yet. Uh, that gets us through the majority of day one. God still has something to create. We're going to look at, at day one next week as we get together. Here's what I want to challenge you with, and, and I want you to think about what does all this mean? How does all of this, knowing, uh, well, let's see, let, let me ask the question this way. Go to the thought question that is at the top of, of this. And the question is, what is God showing you that you need to reconsider this week? What is it that God is, is demonstrating in this creation act that you need to have challenged in your life? Let me ask the question another way. What is there that you think God is not capable of handling in your life? Ooh, don't ask the question that way because that gets right down to where it hurts. You see, that is the question that I had to answer about seven months ago as uh, lying in a hospital bed uh, or, or at home and beginning to question, God, why are you doing this? Why are things this way? You see, what I had to come to realize, it doesn't matter, does it? Because He is the Creator, I am the creation, 
What he has called me to is an undying trust in him. A belief that he is a good God. He is a loving sovereign. He is a beneficent creator. Going all the way back to the Hebrews text. By faith, we understand that God created me. Let's put it that way. By faith, I understand. That is the foundation of Christianity. Uh, Going back to the Romans passage, the godlessness, those that want to cast God aside, as true believers, we should be lifting God up, lifting His his place in our lives, lifting His, His authoritative influence in our lives up. Okay? Um... Questions, comments, criticisms. What do you think of? Uh, what are you thinking about? I can remember as a child, <clears throat> before I um, became a Christian, I can remember thinking, laying in bed and thinking about eternity. And I can just remember that sensation of um, not being able to grasp the concept of forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can. I mean, I was a weird kid, I guess, but I just—that was something I thought about as a kid. And I can remember just not being able to wrap my head around that. And it's kind of that. It's not that I. But it's that mm-hmm. same thing. It is so difficult for us yeah. not to believe. I mean, the the faith faith has to come mm-hmm. in because our human minds cannot possibly comprehend. Yeah. Can't we can't begin to comprehend because we are so into the. But that just there. That's where the where faith comes in mm-hmm. and understanding there's nothing yeah. that God can't do. But yeah. it, it's kind of almost that mind-blowing mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. of you can't wrap your head around it. Yeah. And, and I think the, 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 the place, the thing that it should do is not frustrate us. Mm-mm. So often we get fr- It should bring a sense of awe a sense of magnificence of the God that we serve that I don't have to have the answers. I don't have to figure out why hurricanes come. I don't have to figure out, you know, why people have strokes, why uh, people are subject to this, that, or that. We don't have to figure those things out because there's somebody who knows, who understands. And, and he is so much bigger, so much better, so much wiser than I will ever be to, to grasp that, that all I need to do is trust and obey. Really, if you begin to think about it, uh, my wife and I had this, dis- we, we take walks every day. We had this discussion about, uh, I get myself in trouble quite often, so I forget to close my mouth. But it's the whole idea between uh, old hymns that we would sing as I, when I was a kid versus modern worship songs. I love the modern worship songs. But I challenge you to look at this. Look at how self-focused they are. It's always about me. It's about what I need to do or respond. Hymns aren't that way, are they? Very rarely. They are about the magnificent of, of God and how I just need to submit myself to that, right? Um, great is thy faithfulness. 
uh, amazing grace. This is my Father's world. Uh, I heard one, we, were, we actually did a Bible study on hymns. And just uh, the one that amazed me was, and you guys will probably remember the name, Fanny Crosby, one of the most prolific hymn writers that ever was. What are some songs she wrote? Okay. No. That's... Anyways, she she wrote about four or five thousand different hymns. She couldn't write them under her own name most of the time because she was a woman. She had to write them under a man's name. It wasn't until later that she got credit for all of it. She didn't do it for the notoriety. She did it because God gave her a vision of himself that was so incredible that she would write these hymns. And there, the, in this uh, study on hymns, um, if, if you want to investigate it, it's on a website called He Reads Truth or She Reads Truth. There's two versions. One is for women, one's for men. Um, and then there's a variety of different plans. But what I liked about this is you could download... I had to have my kids help me, but you could download uh, some Spotify playlist and you could listen to the hymns. And uh, what was fascinating is some of these hymns I'd never heard of, but just the richness of many of the lyrics. Uh, And again, not that there's anything wrong with the music that we sing on Sundays. Please don't take that from what I'm saying. But it does get a little me-centered. Hymns tended to be very other-centered, God-centered. Uh, it was a focus on the personhood of God, and, and as we stand in awe of that, we can't help but transform. We can't help but change. I don't need to make a decision when I recognize how magnificent the Creator is, is kind of the idea. This is my Father's world. Uh, I can't think of lyrics right now in my mind. One of my favorite hymns, It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a river attends my way, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. You see, it is that transforming of the mind that the writer of Hebrews talks about. By faith, we understand, that word understand, we're going to look at this later, actually means to exercise the mind. It's by faith that our mind is exercised to the point that we grasp God is the one who has done this. Um, I work with multiple people who, well, the owners of the company that I work for are atheists, and I work very closely with the owner's son. And uh, he and I, I mean, he and I will have very frank discussions. And he said to me one time, he said, Mike, all this scientific stuff that we look at, how can you not understand that, the, you know, that this happened, that there's a common ancestry for animals? And I said, I don't know. How can you look at that and not see God? When we do what we do with plants, and we understand that we are making choices and driving the way these things look, act, and feel, how can you not understand that there had to be somebody to create that in the first place? I don't look at a car and say, wow, that piece of junk just you know, rolled down the hill, and look what it made, four tires. And, uh, and yet, that's the way many people live their lives. The, to me, the key is why they do it. It's because we don't want, Romans tells us this, it's because we don't want the authoritative influence of God in our lives. That's why we push God to the side. We have to have another theory. And evolution will work because then that gets God out of it. 
then we don't have to answer to him. Well, Christians, we need to be careful because oftentimes we may not do it that that abruptly, that distinctly, but we kind of do the same thing. We push God to the side and we say, I'm going to go about my life this way or that way because I think this is what is best. And we end up rejecting the God who is there, our creator, the one who is our sustainer, the one who wants to bring us eternal life uh, in the future. Okay, so next week we will move on to finish up day one. Um, And... uh, As you look through the class schedule, what you will see is basically we're going to go through all seven days of creation. Uh, Then we're going to jump into some of these other passages, uh, like the Hebrews 11 passage. There's a passage in Job we'll be looking at. But basically we'll see how other biblical authors use the story of creation to address behavior, to to modify behavior. Um, So that, that truth and how it impacts us. Okay? Let's uh, close in prayer. I'll shut the, shut the recording device off, and then you can say whatever you want about me the rest of the time. <laughs> God, we thank you for the fact that you are our creator, you are our sustainer. Uh, Father, we are in awe of you. Um, we are truly grateful that you have seen fit to not only love us, uh, but to enter into our world and to cause us to, to come into being and then cause us to know you. We truly are grateful for your presence in our lives. Thank you for all that you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.